show on a give me all you got Friday and joining me now for the Protola segment before we get back into some UL Diamond Sports softball at the Clemson Regional today Bobby Navo coming up later on in the show we'll talk NBA playoffs and all that but let's talk some Protola stuff with and I got some questions about Nick Saban with our next guest Mr. Gus Cattengale, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Good morning, G-Cat. What is happening, man? Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, too, man. How are you? What's going on? I'm doing fine, man. I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well here in hot May. It feels like it's, you know, <laughs> August 20th, not May 20th, but Dude, I'm doing awful. good. No, okay. I, I'm glad you said that because I was starting to think that I'm the only one that can't handle all of this. The dog walks are brutal. Uh, even in the morning, I am just not a fan. Like I don't, I don't care for the heat, and I don't want to hear you get used to it living here. I've lived here my entire life. I'm just not a fan. There's some people that are though. Right? I mean, there's there's a lot of people that would rather the heat than the cold. I would. I that doesn't mean I'm a fan of it. That doesn't mean I'm a fan of it, but I'd yeah. rather the heat than the cold. I mean, that's like saying, no, not me. you know, not would you me. rather? I would much rather. It's like saying, would you rather use a portalette or, you know, a bathroom at a dirty truck stop? I mean, neither. Oh, come on. That's not, that's not even the same. <laughs> neither, neither is, like, something that you necessarily want. You want the, like, you know, lovely, perfect yeah. bathroom that's clean everywhere. And, you know, you get it for a few weeks in the spring down here. But I, you know, I, to, say, to say that you're a fan of one of them just because you would take one over the other. I mean, come on, Gus. Let's, let's, let's be well, real I mean, here. Okay, so, okay, what we both don't mean like the extremes, right? <laughs> like we don't want 107 yes, and we yes, don't right. want 25 degrees. Ooh, so yeah, God. but I would, because to me, like the perfect temp is 65, 65 to 70 where you're in the sun, it's warm. If you're in the shade, it's cool. Some people may even put a little long sleeve on, you know, but like I am definitely, uh, you know, in that realm, like I'm, I'm not even kidding. I've, um, you know, I, I think I opened up the show last week when it started to get hot, and, and I was looking at it. I was, I, I'm already counting down, you know, to the first cold front of the year. You know, to be to be honest with you, <laughs> I don't know about you. Um, so I, I got, you know, like two countdowns running on my, and you know, I have uh, what, how many days till October, and then. How, how many days to, you know, the start of the, the football season? That's kind of, you know, <laughs> the start of where I'm at right now. I'm ready for the, the cold front, if that makes any sense. He's ready for the uh, nice fall weather and then the winter weather after. I mean, those that'll be fun, right? Saint season will start. Yeah. Pelican season will start in October. That'll be fun. We got, you know, opening now. The Mets, despite missing their best players, are are, are playing really well, which I'm enjoying. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Cajuns, you know, playing Little Rock this weekend. They got the Sun Belt Tournament, Cajun softball in the Clemson Regional today. 
Uh, LSU will be in a regional, not hosting after what happened against Ole Miss. But, you know, from a sports standpoint, Gus, there's there's still plenty to chew on at the moment. And the NBA playoffs where, you know, the, the Heat will be disrespected and the Warriors might roll the Mavs, although I've disrespected the Mavs right. a lot. And they went out and, you know, gave right. the Suns the most embarrassing Game 7 loss, I think, in, in NBA. I mean, that might be the most embarrassing Game 7 loss in sports history. And I know we're going back a ways. I know it didn't just happen yesterday, but holy cow. Sure. Man, that was, what was that, Sunday? Good Lord. That was Dude, awesome. I, well, first off, yeah, I think along those lines, too, I mean, I'll get your opinion on this. Did, did, did the Suns quickly become a very unlikable team? Like, well, I think it's because they played about, the Pelicans. I think that has something to do. No, see, I, see, I okay. So I'm glad you said that because I do think some people have said that, like when they called the show too. But I, I do think there's some of that, right? I mean, obviously, I think still fresh in your mind is, um, you know, Chris Paul kicking, you know, Alvarado and the unmentionables. Jay Crowder and, being know, Jay Crowder. Like, I, I agree, but. Um, you know, along those lines, though, of them kind of acting that way and doing that, Scott, I almost feel like what you saw this year, um, and especially once the postseason started, it was almost like, you know, last year it was sort of like, hey, they made that run. I mean, for lack of a better phrase, it was magical. You know, it was it was nice, right? It was nice for them to sort of do that and, and to see that. And I think the Monty Williams story, Chris Paul getting to his first finals, it was all kind of a, a feel-good thing. This year they go out – and win the most games in franchise history, which is incredible when you think of the Hall of Fame players and the caliber players they had. Nuts. 64 no, wins. No, I mean, well, good, dude. You remember Steve Nash. I mean, yeah, Nash, at, you know, Johnson. I mean, you, you had some, you know, Thunder Dan Martin. You had, like, Markley. some names, you know, play in Phoenix, and they never won that many games. So that's what was interesting to me. But. I, I, I kind of have watched over the last month. They just become like villains, you know. They just they cry about everything. They're just kind of play. They play desperate, trying to you know do the fouls like they did. I mean, Booker. There's a word I can describe Booker in, and it's four letters, and it's not very kind, and it starts with B. Like I just like I just he just completely is not a guy that I can root for right now, and. You know, and Chris, my goodness, the the amount of people that piled on on him when they lost it that was, game. It was seven, to, it was it was it was over the top. It was it was actually too but, much. Right, but it that's was what too I'm saying, much. man. It's like I I did not know that many people didn't care for for the Suns or those guys, especially. And then you know, there's internal conflict with Aiton and Monty Williams. You don't even mention him by name in his postseason. Availability, which I mean, it's just this is this it, is it a good odd. this is a good uh, launching point here because I still have a lot of respect and and I love Monty and I think Phoenix will still be really good next year. I mean, they won sixty four games, sure. they lost in seven in the second round, which is unfortunate for them, but they didn't just lose in seven; they got absolutely embarrassed in Game Seven. But it, it goes to show you, man, you just don't know. I know we've had this conversation a lot, but when you are on the doorstep with any team. You have to do what you can do. You have to seize the moment. You know, we, we we feel like this pocket of success for the Pelicans is there, and yet, you know, things could happen. It could go off. It could, something could go wrong. I mean, hell, it's happened plenty of times. The assumption that, oh, you're going to be back there, or this is going to happen. In sports, man, it's just there are too many variables. You build it, you do the best you can, but 
try to win. I mean, that that's why for Saints fans, the 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 nefarious nine call will always sting more than anything. As Sean Payton has said, we'll never get over it. As Teron Armstead, now with the Dolphins, said, you know, <laughs> F that. I'll never get over that. That's the thing I'll remember most in New Orleans, unfortunately, is is when that happened. I mean, you just you don't know. And, you know, for the four teams left, man, you know, somebody's gonna be a champion and maybe it'll be a multi time champion. Maybe, you know, maybe it won't be. It'd be a team that um, is is doing it. Well, I, they're all, I mean, I, I say that. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> they've all won championships before. But the point is, it's it's going to be someone new this year. And the ones that come up short, there's no guarantee they're going to be back there next year. Whoever wins it will be a multi-time champ. But I, I, you want to add one of those banners. And for Phoenix, they thought this was the year. They went 64 and 18. When you look at Paul's age, I mean, heck, the, the team that won the second of most games was the Grizzlies, and they won eight more than the Grizzlies. When you have mm-hmm. somebody like Chris Paul at his age, when you've got the issues with Aiden, like, you got to take a hard look in the mirror and say, we're not that far off, but we're suddenly trending downward from a year ago. To reverse that arrow and point it back up, you talk about load management, you talk about all kind of decisions that have to be made. And you know, if you're the Pelicans, you feel like you're up and coming. You got in the postseason. You got a taste of it. You took Phoenix to six games. You played really well the second half of the season. You had a winning record with Brandon Ingram in the lineup. You got C.J. McCollum. You plan on adding Zion back to the mix. And you got the eighth overall pick in the draft from the Lakers. What should they do with that pick, Gus? Folks have heard me say it. I think they need to keep it, get a rotational piece that you can develop. He might not play right out the gate, but you need guys on rookie deals that can be in the rotation when you have a roster that's about to get pretty expensive, in my opinion. Where do you see them going, and what do you think they do with that pick? I'll tell you, man, it's been fun. I've kind of run the gambit this week, having different people on that cover the team and kind of get an idea of where, you know, where they think, too. And, you know, um, just for, for fans too that love maybe and live by the mock drafts, which weren't too far off this year, right? When it came to Alave and Penning, um, NBA.com. If you go to their website, the official league and, uh, website, Scott, and you click mock drafts, or they they actually have an updated that it, it continuously updates. They take the best six mock drafts from all the websites, ESPN. Bleacher Report, Sports Illustrated, CBS, all of them. And then it's six of them, and they use a consensus uh, of all of them to kind of have. And it's, it's literally called a consensus mock draft. So they literally will have next to the Pelicans who's the guy that's getting the most votes and a little number next to it by how many on it. So just something to keep in mind from here to June 23rd. we got to keep looking at it. But um, – I think what was interesting and, and the way I looked at it too, it was so nice, Scott. And even when you came on the show, I think I started with you I that we opened up our conversation on Wednesday. I opened up my show on Wednesday by having watched a lottery and not feeling like the weight of the world or the state of the franchise or the future of the franchise was dependent on an 18 and 19 year old, whether it was to make Zion happy and keep them happy whether it was to use that to trade somebody that was a star or big enough name to keep Zion happy and keep them, to keep the franchise from moving, to get butts in seats, to get – I mean, that's not at all where the Pelicans are. It literally is, okay, well, what guy can come in and do specifically 
something to help, whether it's three-point shooting, point guard play, can develop behind guys. It, 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 it was crazy. You have 15 contracts right now. Now, some of those, you may either move in trades or what have you, and the three that pop in my head, you know, it's Temple, Devontae Graham could be used uh, as well, and maybe even Jackson Hayes, because I think you saw in the postseason, when it comes to specific matchups and what he can or can't do, I go back to my conversation with him about him earlier in the year with you. I was like, what does he do great? Like, what is it that he's known for? I think his athleticism and can do things during the regular season, but is he a guy that you can see in the postseason that can help you or not? Um, I don't know. Is that somebody you can use to move up uh, in the draft to go get a, a, a guy? So I think what I concluded or what I even went into this week is the Pelicans had options, tons of options, and they got good options. They could, you know, obviously stay at eight, and, and, and I think that you're going to be able to sort of like the Saints if they would have stayed put um, at 16 and find somebody that can come in and help you. I, I think you can maybe, you know, use the two second round picks with some players and contracts you could probably get rid of to maybe move up to five. I, don't, I mean, you're not moving up to four, I don't think, but can you, can you get to five or Detroit and maybe go get somebody that you really think can come in and help you? Um, you can move back four spots. The Clippers seem to be a spot that a lot of people think you can maybe move back to, still get a player that's serviceable. Um, and help you specifically on something like Mike Williams, the guy, the center from Duke, that is a, you know, rim protector. You can sort of do that. So there's things, though, that it narrows down to about four or five players you think are kind of going to be there. And I I think when you look at it, it's just a nice spot to be, what the Pels can sort of do. I think you keep it, especially as you've mentioned to me, and I think it's obvious, it's about to get real expensive in that building with three players in particular, with with Zion Williamson's new extension that's going to come, and C.J. McCollum is 30-plus. So you're about to have three players that are 30-plus. So Jackson Hayes' extension, that's why I think he might be somebody you might move. Um, Devontae Graham's contract, things of that nature, I think that's what you probably see, which is why I think the Pels do keep that draft pick, because it's not uh, in the extension range in terms of dollars, you know? No doubt. I, I Yes. And, and you, you hit it out the park last year. Go that route again. You've got plenty of future draft assets in the future if you need to make a play during the season or something like that. But you're not going to know exactly how this roster works until you see Zion on the floor, how he's working with the others. And I, I, to make a big move in the draft. I don't know. I just I don't think it's the right move for where this franchise currently is, to your point. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Gus Gagio, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, our guest right now uh, on the airwaves. Uh, anything else from the world of the NBA or the Pels that has stood out to you this week before we move on to the Saints? Um, I think the thing that's been interesting to me, Scott, is just really the excitement that and honestly still sort of continues with this team and I almost feel like I've lost uh you know not not a friend or so like I, I missed watching them. Like I I've I've been watching the games obviously and I'm still a fan but you know um it, it kinda stinks. And I like this. I like that feeling of sort of like when the Saints are in the playoffs, you know, or 
they get eliminated. It, it, it becomes tough to watch the conference championship games or the Super Bowl. You know, does that make sense? I just um, and then when you watch the way sort of um, these teams have moved on. But I've also been noticing, Scott, which is why I guess I'll be focusing on it through June 23rd and free agency when it starts on August 2nd, dude. You better have some guys that can knock down threes, right? I mean, it was crazy to see Dallas in game one against the Warriors. They, they were just going to come heck of high water, shoot the three. They're going to live and die by the three, right? I think it was one of the things that hurt Phoenix, that they actually were making a bunch of those threes. But I, I think when you look at the difference that that shot makes, and in the postseason especially, I – I just think adding three-point shooting somehow, some way, is something you have to do. Like, if you don't do it and you can't do it, I just think you're toast. I mean, Dallas attempted 48 threes. They only made 11. Um, what was it when they made it? Um, or, or in Boston beat Milwaukee, Scott, over the weekend, they attempted 55 threes. I mean, they, I mean like, they, they, teams yeah. are just going to jack up shots from behind the arc. And and play literally just the mathematics game. I mean, it's crazy because they only made one more than the Warriors, 10 of 29. So it wasn't like that was that much of the difference. They just shot poorly from the field. You know, Dallas shot, what, 35 36%. Warriors, 56 So, look, it, it comes down to make or missing. So, to me, the reason why I'm bringing this up is you can see it in the Celtics-Bucks series. You can see it in that game seven, as you're saying. Phoenix could hit a shot. Devin Booker, Scott, went 0 for 8 in three-pointers combined in games 6 of, and 7. You, yeah, you, yeah, he was awful. You can't do that. So, I find – that's why – look, it, most of our callers and me um, all agree. On June 23rd, the NBA draft, whoever's the best shooter that's available. <laughs> you, you got to find shooting. You, you have to have a guy that can shoot, and that's why it was so important – Scott, look at what Trey Murphy did Mm -hmm. in the last month of the season in the postseason because he could knock down. He became the best statistical three-point shooter the Pels had. You don't think that was important? A guy that barely played a good almost half of the season. But at that time, in April and in May, I think you have got to find a guy that can come off the bench and is more often than not a bucket. And whether that's creating a bucket and driving – or preferably a three. So, look, the Pels got a, a couple of draft picks, right? You have not only the first-round pick, but you have two picks in the second round, 41 and 52. You probably sell 52 for cash. 41, I do the same thing. You know, um, whether it's a stash guy or, or something of that nature, go, look, you didn't think Herb Jones was going to help you, and he was a second-round pick. So that's why you have the Birmingham League. Find a guy that's either a rim protector Find a guy that literally just he hasn't seen the three point shot he doesn't like. I'm fine with that. Just that that's what you need with that second round pick. You, you can't. I, I don't want him to go back what they used to and you know sell picks for cash and just literally act like that second round pick doesn't matter because I think you can find value. It, it the world and basketball is a global sport. And this is how I feel. If you can't find in two rounds a guy that can help you do something on your team, that's shame on you. I mean, literally, that's shame on you. In Europe and overseas, they shoot threes left and right. They got ball handlers. They got defenders. They got length. Find somebody 
that can do something for you, either this year or develop in the future. Because, you know, TJ is not the youngest guy, which is why a lot of people sort of like, um, you know, um, Mathern from, from Arizona. I mean, you know, like you can pick somebody this year that, you know, you, you hope maybe a starter for you in two, three seasons. It can be a guy that can contribute. So I think there's a lot of options. And I think when you watch the playoffs, those are some of the things that kind of stood out to me in the NBA so far. Good stuff. Gus has been our guest, ESPN Live. Yeah, we got him for one more segment. Want to talk about the Saints and a little bit about Nick Saban and uh, the comments he made that we talked about yesterday that certainly have got the uh, sports world talking. Uh, after that, we will speak to uh, Bobby Naval a little later on, talk Cajun softball there to Clemson Regional today, taking on Auburn. UL played last night. We'll get into some college baseball talk and last night's NBA game between Miami and Boston. We'll dig into that in the 8 o'clock hour. Up next, Spicy Saban and the Saints, all with our friend Gus Kagan. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Scott Show, Gus Kangel, Saints and Pelicans correspondent on with us for one more segment, Pronola segment. We'll talk a little uh, Diamond Sports, UL, NBA playoffs, and more in the 8 o'clock hour. But right now, Gus, before we get into the Saints, Nick Saban pointing out some things about name, image, and likeness that he... Uh, honestly, he made some good points. I'm not going to say he didn't, and the crux of what he was saying makes sense. It's also Nick Saban, in some regards, whining about maybe advantages he didn't have. At one point saying, you know, the great thing about college sports is it's always been equal. Well, we know that's a flat-out lie. And, you know, you had some former Bama players talking about things they were offered to play there years ago before NIL was even around. So, as usual, you have this juicy story that has some elements of, well, he makes a good point. Other elements of, yeah, you should probably just shut up. Um, Saban saying Texas A&M uh, bought all of their players and that Jackson State did as well, which Deion Sanders says that's a flat-out lie. Um, they didn't say Jackson State bought all their players. He mentioned one. Uh, what, what were your initial thoughts about Saban's comments and what is it about this guy who's arguably the greatest college football coach ever that – Man, when he says something, it just he's a lightning rod. You know what I mean? Well, that's why. I mean, there's a lightning rod for a couple of reasons. One, how many national championships has he won? Um, he's a lightning rod because his teams are probably going to be involved in a national championship. Um, they basically turn out NFL players left and right, and I mean that's a place where everyone sort of wants to go. I think people think it's also lightning rod because it's the same reason people hated Brady and the Patriots because they won a lot. I mean, I just, for some reason, people feel that way, right? I mean, I think Brady's personality has been great. has been at Tampa 
My wife hates him. I'm like, why do you hate him? I, he's just smug. Like, it's wet. It's just, again, it's what the perception is. I, I think the first thing I took when I saw that story come out and I listened to the sound bites, and I mean, his answer was about seven and a half minutes long. All calculated. On NIL and yeah. all those different All things. calculated. He, was, um, he, 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 he had been waiting to oh, say 100%. all of that. Yeah. Look, I, I, I do think because he is one of the coaches that has the biggest names or one of the biggest names and top programs in college football, um, it does have weight, right? I mean, it does have weight. Um, I also think, like to your point, it, it, it it's two sides to it. You can look at it and go, what are you talking about, man? Alabama has boosters and supporters that do that. As you mentioned, former players have come out and said, look, we got this, but Scott, again, sort of like when I was talking about the Saints and when I get to it with you and had to calm you down, you know, when when people talk about injury or players and who's available, you can apply that to everybody, okay? When I was at Southern Miss in, in what, 94, when they finally got ranked, uh, 94, 95, and I graduated in 98, we had three players that went to the league, Adalis Thomas, Todd Pinkston, who was a receiver for the uh, the Eagles and Patrick Sertain, the dad, not the kid, which is how old I am. You know, and then the, the day that the season ended, I mean, they're driving Lexuses. So, I mean, I mean, it's like, you know, it, it happens everywhere. Marlon Favorite, people that I've talked to that went to LSU. I mean, we hear all the stories. I mean, so everybody got a little something, uh, one way, shape, or form. Um, what, what the difference is, I, I think, and, and what he was trying to say, or maybe not trying to say, and he's doing it on purpose. I, I get it. Like you said, Scott, I mean, it, everything is for a reason. Like, sort of like when Sean Payton and Drew Brees speak there as well. He, here's the thing that I've always said when this started with NIL. I, I, I hear you when people say players should be compensated. I'm all on board for name, image, and likeness where you can get compensated if, you know, you're, but I've always said this. As far back as cavemen to now, when is it enough? Like, you will never hear anyone say whatever money you are getting is enough. We'll never hear that. We'll never feel that the salary we make is enough. We'll never hear that anything. It's never enough because you're always going to want more or think you deserve more. So that's always going to be a problem with money. Secondly, when you look at distributing it and where it comes from. And I get it's easy for fans and media members that feel players are being used or all this other stuff, the money they're bringing in. And they're looking at one side of the ledger or they're looking at a number sort of like the yahoos that didn't vote for Herb Jones first team, all rookie team in the made the second team. Nine of the voters didn't even have on the slide because they probably just look at the points and don't think of anything else that they add to it. So it's easy to look at how much money does Duke basketball bring? How much money does Alabama football bring? Yeah, I got you. Do you think, though, of all of the other aspects that come with that money that makes that comes with it, right? Like the salaries for the coaches, the staff, the facilities you build, all of those different things. I see it differently because, as you, Scott, with covering the Cajuns and myself with Tulane, we either travel with the team, we're part of that. We see what it costs. You know, like, obviously, maybe you don't think about it, but when we travel, it's a couple of thousand for bags. 
you know, just because they charge you for bags. I know you may not think that, but not every team charters. The charters, somebody's paying for that. The school does, like when Bama and the SEC teams do, which absolutely is a recruiting tool, somebody is paying those charters, which are seventy to $90,000 a flight. So, like, when you start thinking about that, the meals, the free smoothies, the, you know, facilities that now to compete, quote-unquote, you have to have, like, the bowling alleys, the barbershop. Somebody has to pay for that. So that's where some of that money comes from. That's why I've always said, look, you can't think that every school is going to be able to cut a check for a player. So that's why, to me, NIL makes sense if that kid makes you know, is one of the stars of the team and sells the jersey or somebody wants to put him in a commercial, that's fine. The problem, like I said, when this started, though, is that's absolutely going to be used as a way to recruit you and do that. It, it, absolutely. So now you have collectives, which is what he was talking about. So you essentially go around town, they get a group of businesses together, we all pile in the money, and that's how we agree to get Stop Prather and Carver to, to come play over there. We're going to guarantee you, you're going to, you know, go to a car dealership and uh, parents are going to get taken care of. That's part of your sponsorship. And also you're going to come sign some stuff one Saturday a month, but we're going to give you $150,000. So again, though, that's to one player. That's not to everybody on the team. And I've always wondered that, like at some point, when you walk in that locker room and only two or three of those guys are, you know, driving the cars, making the money, doing all those things, and you're not, and you feel like you should be. And maybe what happens at some point in time, like, Scott, when we do our businesses and we do our sponsorships, if we don't bring in ratings or we don't bring in traffic and they don't get the money, what happens? We lose that sponsorship. But what if that kid doesn't play? Like, what's to say if that eventually comes? I just think that's maybe where Nick is also going. Bama's going to be Bama. A&M's going to be a and The SEC is going to find a way to get players, pay for players, raise the money. I think what part of that message is, yes, to rat out Jimbo, but also is, again, the canyon of separation between the haves and have-nots are, um, are monsters. Like UL, Southern Miss, Tulane. Right. It's why when Saban says, oh, it's always been equal, is, yeah. is, I mean, is absurd. Yeah. So – Saban's point about the issues with NIL of, look, it should be about players that get there and then earn it versus, well, you've got it no matter what. He He's not wrong, but you're at Alabama, dude. Like, you've got all kinds of advantages. And Jimbo yesterday literally just came out and said, uh, you know, his exact quotes, I have them in front of me. He calls a press conference at 10. He says, his comments, he said, it's despicable. We're taking shots at 17-year-old kids. We never bought anyone. When he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way, go dig into Saban's past. It's despicable. It's personal to us, and I know the guy really well. Well, he worked with him. He said that Nick Saban tried to call him last night, and Jimbo said, and I quote, I didn't take the call. We're done. He's the greatest ever. When you have all the advantages, it's easy. I mean, Dude, this is Amber Heard and Johnny Depp's defamation trial. They they got nothing on Jimbo versus Nick right now. You know, no, but, but I'll say this, Scott. Scott, and I'll say this not to interrupt you, but you know, listening to stuff here around that time, you know, in February and in December, that LSU lost that went to A and M. 
and Matt Muscona on his show detailed. Saban ain't wrong. No, listen, Saban you know, isn't wrong, and Jimbo was absurd whenever yeah. he was. Sa- Look, there's probably a no, few players they didn't. Too. It's it's Jimbo all about it's all about over the correct correct. A and M does have the fun from boosters that they can use to create a you know a service that gets these kids NIL deals. And yes, when 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 Jimbo says it, our number one recruiting class has nothing to do with NIL, he's lying to himself or he's lying through his teeth, one or the other. Maybe he's in complete denial. I'm not even I'm not even taking sides here. I just I like a good old-fashioned Jerry Springer episode between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban because both are hypocritical in some regards. Uh, Jimbo's saying, I don't cheat and I don't lie. You can call me anything you want to call me, but you can't call me a cheater. Um, whatever. Uh, what, what else did he say about Nick Saban? He says, when you walk on water, I guess it doesn't matter. He's talking about Nick Saban's comments about soliciting money. He's like, didn't he make those comments to a crowd of people that were asking, you know, that he was trying to get money from? I mean, I, I, I as far as off-season SEC stuff goes, oh, my God, you don't think, you don't think the SEC network and ESPN are loving this right now? It's the number one story on the website, right? Um, on Thursday, it was talked about throughout the day. Mind you, the PGA Championship round one, you had Tiger, Spieth, and McElroy in the opening. Uh, you know, Scott, to, here's what it boils down to, right? There's a conversation I have with my buddies from Southern Miss that, you know, we get together every year and do a lake house weekend trip, and we do all this and we talk about it. Um, look. You don't recognize college sports right now to to the level like we were, Scott, and you're around the same age as me. It is absolutely big business. It is absolutely about that. Um, Look, we just finished the lottery and we're thinking about the draft, too. Your NBA teams are projecting now where players are going to be when they're drafting people, because when you look to the right of their names, they're primarily all freshmen, maybe some sophomores, very rarely you even get to a junior or senior. Um, And, you know, you have a guy that we talked about earlier this week, Shaden Sharp, didn't play a minute at Kentucky, left high school early, was going to play last year. He's got a red shirt because he was still young. Now he's going to come. Hasn't played. Second, says Kentucky because he committed there and he was there. He was with the team, but he never played. And somebody's likely going to take him in the top five. And I had three guests on this week that would love him for the Pelicans. I have no idea how he is. He didn't play against the Tigers, didn't play against, you know, a directional. I have no idea. I'm going off of tape against a high school kid. That's, that's where you are, though, because – the one-and-done stuff that happened several years ago, which to me changed high school basketball. You have to draft a player and hope in three to four years' time he's what you would have gotten, say, 15, 20 years ago. But that's that's where it is. College football is unrecognizable from that standpoint where it's – I mean, they, these guys can't even get together and agree that they need to open it up, the playoff and all that. And I know you and I have had this discussion on that because guess what? The same yahoos that are arguing, Fisher and, you know, I know they, you know, Dabo said the same thing about two weeks ago about NIL. You have a statement. Guess what? Those four teams, Ohio State, USC now, which, you know, their head coach, I, it's going to be the same schools every single year, every single year. And I love the Cajuns. I love the way they got no shot at national championship. 
None. They could go undefeated, and you're still going to have people, well, they didn't play the cut because you can't get in. So, you know, it, it just it baffles me when coaches or universities talk about fairness when, quite honestly, it's not fair. They make sure it's not fair for a lot of different people. So, you know, when certain schools try to make sure they make more money by getting the best players, and now the players are getting more money, but other schools don't like how it's going about it, now you're going to claim unfairness. It just it, it, it makes you turn it off for a sec, bro. I'll be honest with you. Like, it, it got to the point where we've had discussions where, like, you know, I – it, it, I almost feel like with pro sports, at the very least, you have salary caps and you have – like the NFL's done it right. And they, and they have issues. But, you know, I was talking earlier in the week about Major League Baseball and why I was so disappointed they didn't do a, um, a salary cap in the last CBA. Scott, I mean, that, you're a Met fan and you guys spent whatever and the Cubs spent whatever and – you know, the Pirates went through a week this week when it went three games without scoring a run. Now the second lowest payroll of 40-something million, and yet the Dodgers have the highest of 288. That's not even a – I mean, that's why the sports are watchable. I mean, that's why you have games like that. Like, at least the NFL, here's your cap, you got to spend it. Same thing with the NBA. Here's your cap, you have to spend that money. And that's the thing with college football, and that's why I think the coaches are chirping – and I think it's going to affect at some point in time you, the fan, Scott, because I don't know about you, but I know some people try to go to like a, an LSU game. It's more than a Saints game. You have to either do TAS or you have to do, you know, seat packages or pay a certain amount. I mean, Southern Miss does that too. You want to park within five miles of the stadium. You have to, you know, be a member on this and an Eagle fund and all. So again, it, 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 the cost, just like everything else, dude, it is going to come back to you one way, shape, or form. Uh, all these sponsorships, all these things the schools have to do, and, I mean, it, it's going to come back to you. At some point, it, you know, again, it's, it's going to be expensive, and that fan experience and where it is now, I mean, you're, you're sitting in the upper deck. I mean, me, family of whatever, with the job I do, I can't sit between the 40-yard lines and lower bowl at an NBA game, I couldn't do it if I couldn't get in. I'm just being honest with you. Right. I mean, a buck something, you know, 100-something dollars. I can't do that. So I, I just I think sports overall, man, it's easy to say this guy deserves this kind of money or this or that, but at some point it's going to be tough to even support it, sponsor it, see it, attend it. And, and quite honestly, when it gets so much about money, it's going to be a turnoff to people. It's going to be a turnoff, you know? Like you said, millionaire coaches and gazillionaire programs squabbling. I mean, th- think about it. A&M and, and, and Alabama calling each other unfair is a joke. It's an absolute joke saying that it's unfair for the either one, you know? It feels like a fight on mean girls between, like, the mean girls. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't – the, like, popular girls in school that are fighting over – little that that's what it comes off as and yet i'm sitting here and i'm like man give give me give me my popcorn man i mean jimbo fisher calling his old friend and boss a narcissist and saying some people thinks they're a god it's like whoa but jimbo's point of we've never had parody especially when some people never follow the rules to begin with like ouch at least jimbo's saying we never had parody but on the other hand it's like well you know you work with nick too so you're kind of 
putting yourself in this. It's all, it's all very much, you know, them complaining about who's following the rules and who's not. It's like, come on, guys. Like, is this is this what we're doing? And yet the other part of me, Gus, is sitting back like, heck, yeah, it is. Uh, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott. That is Gus Cagno. All right, before we let you run, Gus, you made a comment earlier about me flipping out about the Saints earlier in the offseason and being very negative and you telling me to calm down. Um, You're not wrong. That happened. <laughs> I was – listen, I, I, I was very – the Saints weren't doing anything to improve their offense. And I still think they have some question marks there um, at tight end and running back after Kamara, even though I love my guy Mark Ingram, but he's old and Kamara's probably might miss some time with the suspension. But, you know, since those rants, I mean, they they drafted Alave. They drafted Trevor Penning. They, they signed Jarvis Landry. I mean, that only happened a week ago, and yet, you know, so much happened last weekend uh, in the sporting world, including Drew Brees, um, you know, saying some things in jest on social media that by the time I got in here on Monday morning, somehow Jarvis Landry was already kind of an old story. But uh, you look at the NFC, man, um, there's a couple of good teams. There's a lot of trash teams. Uh, the Saints were 9-8 and eight last year with a horrendous offense. They've improved in some regards there. And they have Will Lutz back, which I think is a big thing that was missing last year for Saints special teams that was really good outside of field goal kicking. They had a carousel there, and guys just came in and were terrible. So the team is better, and yet you look at a lot of the betting boards, and they have the Saints, even after the Landry signing, you know, your over-under win total was less than what they had last year. Um, am I, I, I am more optimistic certainly about the Saints that I was, you know, uh, a month, you know, ago, whenever you were saying I needed to calm down. So I'll give you that. But the addition of Jarvis Landry and your thoughts on the Saints all season to this point, and then we'll let you run. Um, <clears throat> look, I, I'll i start with why I kept telling you to calm down and just having, I guess, I wouldn't even say faith or confidence. It was just more of, um, as we talked about it back in the day, Scott, I I just look at what this team is and what I mean, and and what I mean by that is there's a reason that they went with Dennis Allen and not a new coach, right? There's a reason for the most part they stayed in house. Pete Carmichael is just going to have more responsibility and be the play caller. Um, I knew they brought in Doug Marone. I think he's going to help that offensive line. I knew that in this draft, two areas were deep per the draft experts, that was receiver and offensive line. Those are two areas of massive concern on the offensive side of football, which you had fear on, and rightly so. I believe, and especially after, you know, you find out that Dennis Allen flew to Malibu to talk with Michael Thomas, that bringing him back at 50% of what he was was better than anything. And he hasn't played in a year. So, Again, barring the fact that the guy hasn't walked or ran or worked out in a year, he's going to be back in shape. I, I, I can't imagine that he isn't one way, shape, or form. Last I saw the guy, he still looks like he has 2% body fat, right? I mean, we remember what he does when he catches the ball and he flexes. So that guy, because I get this all the time, it's not just you, Scott, and not even referring it to you, but... I get this on a day-to-day basis. I don't know what kind of Michael Thomas we're going to get back. What Michael Thomas? What have you not paid attention? Even if he doesn't want to be here, which seems to be what a lot of people feel around here for some reason, is if that's the case, you know the best way to get out? 
play well. You know the best way to get out? Prove you're one of the top receivers. You know the best way to get paid? Prove you're one of the top receivers in the league. I mean, and, and again, judging by his time here, this isn't a guy that we worried about Does he have pizza at night, right? I mean, this is a guy that completely, per Drew Brees, plays every down like the Super Bowl. And the, the problem, quote-unquote, he had in the locker room was with C.D. Deuce, who gets under everybody's skin. So I, 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 I don't have that apprehension that Michael Thomas is not going to give it his all or hasn't worked out or isn't going to be healthy. It, again, like the Zion, it behooves both parties to make sure that it works. It behooves both parties. So I, I didn't have that apprehension. So I felt, Scott, if Thomas comes back, the offensive line coach, who, by the way, was also an offensive coordinator here when he first started with Sean Payton and a head coach, that that can help Pete Carmichael. That can help Dennis Allen. He's going to be able to help offensive linemen that didn't have growth in last year. And look, it, it's, look at the two things that Dennis Allen did when he first got here. The, co- the changes on the coaching staff, wide receiver coach and O-line coach. And those two areas were terrible last year. And, and I'm not saying it was Curtis or not. You know, that O-line was a young guy that hadn't really had that experience. So you bring in Marone and let's see what happens. I, I think he's going to help that offensive line get better. I, I don't think there's a better guy to teach Trevor Penning. Uh, what's going on with that. So if the O-line, which last year played a game where, as you mentioned, Scott, in, in the last several weeks, started a guy that got dressed and fitted for equipment that night against the Dolphins, didn't play many games with Ryan Ramchek or Teron Armstead, didn't play most of their games at Andres Peden. I get it. I call it, but he's still your starter at guard. Like, when I'm thinking all of that, and you had your right guard play center for most of the season. Um, if you just avoid that and missing a game because of COVID with, with, your, with your staff, missing a game because of COVID and playing with your flag football team, and they miss the playoffs by a game. Like, I, 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 58 starters, four quarterbacks, you had nine wins. Looking at it on paper – and I'm seeing what's coming back. I'm seeing the potential, what you can on draft. And then if you just get some pieces in free agency, I don't know how you're not at least the same, if not better. So that, that's where my confidence came in and why I kept saying, you know, breathe, because you, you essentially have the philosophy in place. This team has a philosophy in place. You know, Ireland didn't leave. You, you knew Kyle Harley was, was still there. They are going to manage the cap. There was no reason to get – Worried about they got under a hundred and something two years ago. Seventy this year was nothing, and you saw they did it. Um, Ireland's done really good with the draft picks. You basically have another first round draft pick at right end, and Peyton Turner. He didn't not perform. He didn't not pan out. He was injured last year, so if he's not injured most of the season, you got a first round defensive end on the right. I'm telling you, in the practices I saw, that guy I think is just as good, if not better, than Davenport kind of came on you shouldn't be without David on your model for six the games that you start this year so when you keep looking at those things that's always how I just breathe and trust what they have done the last several years and lo and behold look at it and I had gotten little birdies you know for about three to four weeks that had told me look 
Matthew and Landry were going to be post-draft day signings because that way you don't have to do the compensation with draft picks if before that. So I might have known a little something, Scott, before that. But even still, I mean, I, I think Marcus May is in the same neighborhood as Marcus Williams, and you have depth at that side of the football. And the other reason I'm so confident is, last I checked, that defense was probably a large reason you won nine games. They're back. Um the fact that I'm not even harping on Quan Alexander not being with the team just yet, maybe later, I don't know. But I, I, I think they got tremendous depth and good players up front. You've got a solid secondary. You know your number two corner. You added guys like Alante Taylor, who everybody seems to rave about, that I've talked to. Um, receiving core is incredible, to be honest with you. You have guys that can run routes. I, I don't know how else to look at that. I just – that is a that is a massive key. If Taysom Hill just doesn't fumble a ball when it's handed to him, tossed to him, you can use him like Debo Samuel and the 49ers did. There's a lot of different things, and I understand. Well, I don't know how many games I miss any. He may miss six, he may miss four, he may miss two, he may miss none. I mean, we thought Marshawn Lattimore was a goner. He didn't miss a game last year. So I don't know. I, I, I know – I can't believe I'm going to say this. I, I don't know why we keep thinking Mark Ingram can't do a perform for a game – um, plus, here's the other aspect of it. When you didn't have a good receiving core, the loss of Alvin Kamara was massive, right? It's like Brandon Ingram to the Pelicans, Scott, without C.J. McCollum or Zion. Like, it's it's a death sentence. I mean, you're just good luck because you had no, nothing, right? But if Kamara doesn't play, I, I have, in theory, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, who, again, everybody says the guy is just an NFL professional route runner, which means he can get open. And he has 4-3 speed. I feel like no one keeps breaking that up. The guy has 4-3 speed. Like, he can actually catch and run with the ball. Um, and you have Jarvis Landry, who's a five-time Pro Bowl receiver. The, the, that's not what you had last year. So, if Alvin misses two games, four games, absolutely it's an impact. But it's not like all of a sudden you, you have nothing on the offensive side. So, Scott, not only did I think we needed patience, but I'm over here. I'm thinking they're an NFC contending team. Like, I'm not saying they'd win, but I, I, I think, barring, again, unforeseen things, I don't see why this team can't be one of the teams. If you got national people absolutely giving the NFC East title to Jalen Hurts, who they're about to move on from in Philly, they thought the coach was going to be fired before they ran a couple of games last year in the win column. They're giving them the, the NFC East. They're saying that, that you know, the, um, the Bucks are in, or Rodgers, who lost Adam, is going to be the same offense. All these different things. If they're ready to say that, well, then I'm absolutely ready to say Jameis won't fumble the football, can deliver it properly. The defense probably would still be good. So why aren't they one of those teams that can get in the postseason and make a run? Why not? Like, I, I don't see – when I look at receiving cores, when I look at defensive lines, when I look at secondaries, when I look at coaching staffs, why can't they compete? So not only did I think that they were going to make decent moves and they were going to, you know, be a team that we have seen the last couple of years, but I, I would generally think they're a team that can contend in the NFC. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, I – it wouldn't be like 17 or 06. I was like, well, where did this come from? 
I, I, I don't see that. Cam Jordan, a couple weeks ago, he said it, Scott. 13-win team they should have been last year. He thinks they're at least a 13-win team this year. That's inside the locker room. That's not me. That's what they believe. So I absolutely think they can win the division. And if you can win the division with that schedule, with your play, well, then you've earned it and you're good. That's what I'm getting at. ESPN had the power rankings this week, and they got the Saints at 20. They had the Dolphins at 19. They got the Niners at 18. They got teams that are – they got the Eagles ahead of the Saints. Okay? Those are all teams, the Rams, the Bucks. Those are all teams the Saints have to play. They got the Raiders ahead of the Saints. That's a team the Saints have to play. They got the Bengals ahead of the Saints. That's a team they got to play. So if that my, my, my point is if they win the NFC South, that means they would have had probably 10-11 wins minimum. And that means they would have beaten teams right now currently ahead of them in the power rankings. If they can beat those teams I just mentioned and win the division, they're absolutely an NFC contending team. Big stuff from Gus Cattengale. I don't have enough time to respond to all of it, but we will in the coming weeks. Trust me. Great stuff as always, my friend. I know we got to let you run, but I appreciate the time. Guys, follow him on Twitter at GCAT underscore 17 at G-K-A-T-T underscore 17. Check out the Sports Hangover ESPN 100.3 weekdays from noon to 3 p.m. Gus, man, as always, my friend, I appreciate the time. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, bud. Appreciate it. All right, good stuff from Gus Cattengale. Coming up, more of the great Scott Show. We'll open up phone lines in the next segment as we uh, continue into the 8 o'clock hour. Last night's Heat-Celtics game, today's UL softball game against Auburn, UL baseball against Little Rock, and Jimbo Fisher cutting a promo on Nick Saban. My God, it was 10 minutes of just one thing after another. Listen, I'm going to tell you one thing. You can, you can call me anything you want to call me. You ain't calling me a cheat. I don't cheat and I don't lie. So I learned that when I was a kid. If you did, the old man slapped you side of the head. Maybe somebody should have slapped him. Yeah, that's one you. thing you don't. Now you're fooling with our name. That don't, if it's Texas A&M's name, you're saying with those kids' name and our name. I'll put it with any of them. Front left, Olin. Uh, Coach SEC. I, don't, I ain't into that. I wasn't raised that way. Yeah, Jimbo, SEC spring meetings are coming up, the media days in a couple of months, and then October 8th. What do you think that's uh, – is, is it going to be awkward? And awkward about what? When you have to face it or have to – I don't mind some... confrontation. <clears throat> Live with it my whole life. Kind of like it myself. Anything else, uh, Rob and then Travis? Backing away from it wasn't the way I was raised. I mean, Jimbo's basically just saying, all right, let's 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 go, man. Let's fight. Come on now. She down, she down at SEC media days. It's going down. It's going down. Holy cow. Man, they, they could charge pay-per-view prices for that entry. The thing is now, they're going to go to SEC media days, and that's all Jimbo and Nick's going to be asked about. How many times before Nick just snaps like, right, I've already addressed this. I've talked about it. I, I, I'm done answering these questions, please. Talking about our team, and you know, if you listen to what I said, focusing on this, that's going to happen. And yet, I can't wait. 
Vogue coming up later in the 8 o'clock hour. The color analyst will get his thoughts quickly on UL softball. Taking on Auburn today at the Clemson Regional. That's coming your way. Tail end of the 8 o'clock hour. Open phone lines next. More of Fisher's Rant. It's a Friday on the Great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.